0: <laughs> Canada. 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 Well, doesn't it derive from a no, it's, it's village. So
1: as Indigenous people, we are used to our stories getting a little twisted. So listen up as we set the record straight. I'm Ganyihtiyo. Please join me as we hear from dozens of Indigenous people. Together, we will decolonize our words and our minds on the Telling Our Twisted Histories podcast. You can find episodes on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is a CBC podcast. People are curious, and that's great.
3: But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that.
2: I'm Harvinder Radva.
3: I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle.
2: And this is Inappropriate Questions.
3: Let's get inappropriate.
2: Look, Elena, I have to be honest. Yeah. When I hear this question, have you tried blank, I don't think it's an inappropriate question. Uh, Yeah, hot take. Explain. I understand that we are talking about chronic illness. But if someone is struggling, and I think I have a good suggestion, why would I not want to share that information? Right. And I don't want to give them empty words like, I am sorry to hear that.
3: I think chronic illness sometimes can make things complicated because... You know, these are ongoing problems that people mostly have to deal with their whole lives I mean i've had chronic bowel issues, which is just the most glamorous thing to bring up on your podcast (laughs) You know, sometimes they get a little better. Sometimes they get a little worse, but They haven't gone away ever in years Um, I mean maybe this is this is all my fault because I gave up yoga. So so maybe (laughs) it is on me
2: Oh, I completely forgot yoga is now a white people (laughs) thing (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we're going to speak with guests with different chronic illnesses about what they think about these suggestions and what kinds of things work for them.
2: Let's get to it.
3: The idea of an illness
1: that is incurable, is a really difficult concept.
4: When you're at your most vulnerable state, then whatever people tell you, you're going to want to try There is not one way to live with any chronic, invisible, rare condition.
3: Lara Parker is a writer and deputy editorial director for BuzzFeed.com. She often writes about what it's like living with endometriosis, a chronic illness that affects the pelvic region and can cause severe pain.
2: She has written a book of essays called Vagina Problems, which comes out later in 2020.
3: Hi, Lara. Thanks for being on the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. To start off, can you tell us about a time someone asked you, have you tried this or suggested something for you to try to help manage chronic illness?
1: My God, where do I begin? (laughs) No, it's, I think like the ones that I think about the most, uh, just probably because of what I do for a living, which is that I write online and I create content online, is just sort of like online comments, like, oh, okay, but like, have you tried yoga? It'll be like something like very, very generic that I'm like, yes, no, I've I've heard of it and I've, I've considered it, thank you.
3: Have you tried meditation? I think it's French.
1: Yeah, they're like, you know, ibuprofen. I don't know if you thought about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the one that comes up the most often is probably just like internet comments, but there's always... Usually I feel like it's like your parents' friend that you haven't seen in a while. You know, they like have known you since you were a baby and they know that you have a chronic illness, but they don't really understand it. So they're like, hey, do you feel better yet? And you're like, oh, not really, Mary, but uh, I'm working on it. And then Mary will be like, oh, yeah, but like my cousin's sister's friend has it. And she did yoga 17 times a day and she's fine. So... (laughs)
2: So Lara, uh, who are these people? Um, you said Mary. they they're Mary is not Karen's, right? Just make sure. <laughs> Mary, Mary, and Karen are
1: are definitely the same. They're sisters.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and generally, are these questions? They come right from nowhere, or you are talking about? Oh, today I had a lousy day because I had pain, or uh, last week was lousy, or
1: no? It's usually, uh, it's usually definitely when I've either mentioned my pain in some Mm -hmm. way or mentioned Mm -hmm. my illness in some way Mm. and you know there's a difference between me saying hey uh I'm not really sure what to do I've seen a bunch of doctors I don't know where to go from here. Has anyone Mm -hmm. been through something similar and could offer insight, right? Like there's that. And then there's me posting saying, here's my experience with endometriosis, this disease that I've lived with for, you know, over a decade now, these are, you know, my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. And then someone commenting or someone, you know, reaching out to me and saying, hey, have you tried this thing? Mm -hmm. Which
3: is like, you know, I I wasn't looking for suggestions. Mm (laughs)
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Where do you think the Marys of the world are coming from when they ask you this? Why do they think that this is something that would be helpful to you? So honestly, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs>
1: so buckle up. <laughs> but I think there's like
3: two parts to it. You know, obviously,
1: there are going to be those people who think that they're genuinely just helping, yeah. like to them, suggesting yoga or suggesting ibuprofen or suggesting walking or doing a handstand or whatever the hell it is that they're suggesting, like they (laughs) genuinely think that they're being helpful. I want to believe that, you know, that is a large portion of it. But I think there's also this factor that plays in sometimes that the idea of an illness that is incurable is really hard to think about. It's a really difficult concept, even for someone who's living with it, right? Like I have a difficult time with that concept every day. I have to wake up and I have to sort of go through the motions of getting myself from point A to point B of realizing today is another day with this illness that I have no idea how to treat, right? Like there's really nothing I can do to actually get rid of it. That is scary. And a lot of people... You know, they don't want to think about that. So I think they wanna believe that, okay, well, maybe there isn't really incurable illnesses. Maybe Mm -hmm. this person just hasn't found the thing that gives them relief. So uh this isn't something that my brain needs to be scared of right now, you know? And I think it's almost like comforting themselves a little bit. Mm. I just I don't think people understand what it's like to live inside the mind of someone who has a chronic illness with no cure. Like you have no idea how many times a day I try to figure out what I can do to make myself feel better. It is a constant state of mind. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes along and says, hey, why don't you just try yoga? It's like Mm -hmm. it crumbles my entire system in my head and just makes me feel like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, do you think that I am just sitting around doing nothing? Like, do you think that I'm not trying? Like, it's like, I want to just like, scream at these people and say like I'm trying so hard like do you not see me trying and it's like I know I can't take it personally but I think that's also like I'm not sitting around just feeling sorry for myself which by the way even if I was that's my goddamn right Right. but I'm not doing that I'm actively Mm -hmm. trying to feel better which anyone with a chronic illness is because no one wants to sit there and not feel good no one wants that
3: yeah
2: I don't remember where I was reading but there's one huge difference between the U.S. and uh, or North America, I should say, not just the U.S., and say, for instance, Britain, that here we feel obligated. If somebody tells us a problem, here we kind of feel obligated to provide a solution. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, in in, say, Britain, they would say, oh, what a bummer. And uh, they will leave it at that. Right. So maybe that's part of the culture kind of uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to excuse them or any such thing, but.
5: No,
1: totally. I also think it's like ingrained in Western medicine. Mm. Like the idea of having a medical problem and not having a solution for it isn't really something that, I mean, (laughs) our advertisements for big pharma. Like it's always like, hey, do you have this problem? Cool. We'll fix it.
4: Mm. No
1: problem. You know, like we just grow up believing that there are solutions for all of our medical
3: problems. Mm. I think it's worth mentioning that through your work, you have actually tried a lot of different things and written and vlogged about trying different things uh, to manage your endometriosis symptoms and other symptoms. What are some of these things that you've tried and, and what works for you?
1: Yeah. So CBD and just like cannabis in general is what I use mainly to sort of medicate uh, my pain, pain management. I use cannabis daily. Um, one of the biggest symptoms I'm having post-surgery is daily nausea now, mm. um, sort of more extreme than I ever had before. So I'm actually relying on cannabis like 100% in order to eat because otherwise like I have no appetite. Right. Um, so cannabis is huge for me. It also really helps me be able to have a sex life um, because orgasmine and becoming aroused, both of those things can be pretty painful for me because of my pelvic floor issues and because of my endometriosis. So cannabis first and foremost. And then other than that, like I really try and take like a Western meets Eastern approach or like holistic approach. Like I... Right now, I'm seeing a pain specialist, and I had surgery, an excision surgery, um, which, like, basically means that they went in and cut out endometriosis at the root. Mm -hmm. And it is the gold star treatment for endometriosis at the moment, but it's also extremely expensive and inaccessible. Right. So I did that surgery, but then I also do things that are considered more holistic, quote-unquote, which is, like, chiropractic work and acupuncture work and cupping that stuff is what um, I find most success with. Hmm.
2: This all must be very, very expensive. Oh yes. But those people who do not have these kind of uh, support systems, uh, I, I can't even imagine their lives.
1: I think that's you know part of the reason why I feel this like deep, deep responsibility almost to be so loud about this, um, Mm -hmm. is because I want people to understand what you just said, which is that here I am a person who not only has Mm -hmm. access to medical care in general, which is hard enough in the United States, but I have, you know, Mm -hmm. decent health insurance. I have access to medical cannabis. I have access Mm -hmm. to acupuncture. I have access to a chiropractor. And yet I am still in pain every single day. So imagine Mm -hmm. what it is like for people who have none of that. But yeah, no, you're completely right. And it's like, because I have the access to these products, like it's sort of my goal um, to weed out the the stuff that might actually be worth spending their hard earned money on,
3: you know? Mm -hmm. What are the biggest misconceptions about living with a chronic illness or people with a chronic illness? There's, like,
1: this misconception of what a chronic illness looks like, I guess, um, and what sort of disabled looks like. That's something that I've personally been thinking a lot about in my own life. Uh, people ask me a lot if I identify as disabled, and it's something that I, I really struggle with because, you know, for the most part, if you looked at me, uh, you wouldn't think, oh, she's disabled. Mm-hmm. But then there are days and there are so many moments in my life where I, like, legitimately cannot do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like, it's just been eye-opening to realize that, like, I'm not as able-bodied as I guess I think I am mm-hmm. just because I look able-bodied and I'm able to walk mm-hmm. and, like, do certain things on certain days, if that makes sense. Right.
2: It's it's interesting because when I was going through your uh, bio and that was the first thing I told Elena that when one looks at you, it is hard to imagine that you're going through such a horrible time.
1: Yes. Yeah, totally. Uh,
2: yes, and and that kind of creates um, a problem in itself that people yes. will not take your issue seriously.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does, and you know, there's, you know, <laughs> we could talk about the problems within the medical community like ten thousand times a day, but I will say, like, the fact that I had so much trouble getting diagnosed as a thin white woman speaks volumes to how hard it would yes. be for anyone yes. else to be diagnosed with this. And, um, yeah, that can be pretty much said about, like, any statement that I've made throughout this entire podcast. Like, just imagine someone Mm -hmm. who isn't thin, Mm -hmm. white, straight woman, you know? Like, I mean, I pretty much have, like, every privilege that you can, you know?
3: What was it like, that process of getting your diagnosis? You know, sometimes I think I
1: like, feel this urge to sort of downplay that. Um, Hmm. But it was actually hell to go through. And, you know, it it really sort of destroyed my ability to trust myself, which is, Hmm. that's sort of the story of medical trauma, usually. If it's not, you know, not being listened to, it's like, being misdiagnosed or having an unnecessary treatment, you know, like um, a hysterectomy was suggested to me when I was 20, 21. And that's actually not even Mm -hmm. a cure for endometriosis. Like it actually does nothing for it. So it's like, you know, what if I had listened to that? I don't, you know, Mm
2: If I understood correctly, you were misdiagnosed or... uh... Yeah.
1: So it's like I had endometriosis, right? Which was misdiagnosed as irritable bowel syndrome and also just as me being like anxious. Like, I don't know. They just kept telling me I was like sad. Right. Um, And then I also have pelvic floor conditions mm. and I didn't realize at the time that those two things sort of go hand in hand, right? So if I had had a competent doctor who had diagnosed right. my endometriosis, they would have also understood how it affected my pelvic floor. Yeah. Mm, right. I only now am starting to understand what's going on with my body and I'm almost 30. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Mm. So going back to the question, I guess what I'm understanding is that if you are sharing your pain with others, you're just looking for someone to listen and that's that.
1: Yes, I think that's like what the idea of like sharing something is, right? Like whether it's about a chronic illness or not, like if someone's sharing about, you know, losing a pet or going through something with work, like they don't want your suggestions, right? Unless they're asking Mm -hmm. for them, I assume. I assume what they're looking for is just people to be there with them and sit with them in their pain or whatever it is, or their grief or whatever it may be. So I don't know why or what it is about chronic illnesses in particular that make it just so hard for people to not offer suggestions because it it really is like such a cliche, but it's so true that people just can't help themselves. And I understand the want to do that. Of course you want to do that. If my friend's had an incurable disease, such as endometriosis, (laughs) of course I want to fix that for them. I don't want them to live through that. I wouldn't want that for, you know, anyone, but you can't. So just say, you know what? I know that I can't do anything, but I am here. That's what you're doing. And I wish that that was what people understood. Like, I don't need you to fix it for me because A, you can't, and B, like, you're not a doctor,
2: like whatever. And even doctors didn't help you that much. Yeah, I
1: know, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> if you were a doctor, like it wouldn't matter, so <laughs> <Whatever. laughs> So just like, sit with me in it. That's what you can do, is just support me, because that's what I need more than anything, you know? My name is Serena, and I have type 1 diabetes. I'm sometimes met with comments of, oh, you don't look like you would have it, or
3: you look healthy. But a question I often get is, have I tried not eating sugar at all? And that should solve my problem. That is simply not the case.
1: It kind of comes across as if they're the expert in the illness that I live with. And I would just say that I will know when there's a cure not from them. Um, I would, would already know it before they know. That's probably the truth.
2: It sounds like it can be a process to learn how to navigate these treatment suggestions and advocate for yourself.
3: Yeah. Someone who's had a lot of experience with this from a young age is Sneha Dave. She's a 22-year-old student, speaker, and advocate who's had ulcerative colitis since she was six. She founded both the Health Advocacy Summit and the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network to connect young people with inflammatory bowel diseases. Can you tell us about a time someone asked you... Have you tried this about your chronic illness?
4: Yeah, so ulcerative colitis is an inflammatory bowel disease, so it majorly affects the digestive system. And so, one of the questions that I've gotten before is like, have you tried the grape diet which, where you just eat like all grapes? Whoa, um, what? You know, I. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre. I mean, I have lots of these really you know interesting specific types of diets and and so we have a little booklet um all about a grape diet. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called, but I I think about that book very often cuz just cuz of how bizarre it is. So
2: <laughs> so somebody gave you that booklet?
4: Yeah, I can't remember who. Um you know, this was years ago, but that suggestion was compounded by a few other suggestions such as the raw food diet. Um, which I have actually tried quite a few different diets um, because my freshman year of high school, I had the colectomy surgery, mm-hmm. which is the removal of the entire large intestine. Mm-hmm. And so before that, me and my family tried almost Every single option, we exhausted all these different ideas from homeopathy to going to California for a couple of weeks in this raw food center, Mm -hmm. being gluten-free, dairy-free, salt-free, sugar-free, wheat-free all at once. So um, we got quite a few suggestions during that time especially, Mm -hmm. but not so much anymore about diet because I've become very aware of of what I can eat and I don't really take solicitations Mm -hmm. (laughs) for changing my diet that much anymore.
3: Right.
2: So, uh, how do you then respond to those questions?
4: Yeah, so I think one way, and this might be classified as a little passive-aggressive, but I think one way <laughs> could just be explaining them your condition and where you see your condition going. And that's not to be pessimistic, but that's just to say, like, for example, I have ulcerative colitis and I've tried things already and it's you know, what you're saying is probably not going to be the cure. I know what's going to work for me and I know what I need to do. Um, but I do appreciate your suggestion. So I think probably validating them in a bit of a way, but also explaining to them what you know about your condition is really important because they don't often know that. And a lot of times, people might forget that chronic illnesses are mm-hmm. not necessarily going to go away. So That's um, very
2: mature <laughs> and smart of you, Sneha. I would have said something much ruder.
4: I'm actually pretty open to suggestions. I like to hear what's worked for different people, but I am mm-hmm. very cautious because I've been through a lot of people promising that this is going to work and that's going to work, and none of it has worked. So the only thing that I don't like is when people tell other people who might not have as much literacy about differentiating Mm -hmm. what a cure is and what a treatment is. um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really bothersome is is when I see some of my peers being kind of looped into these treatments, especially those of my peers that have been recently diagnosed, because that's a hard time. And that's when you're looking for all the answers and all the questions. And I think that's frustrating to see them get looped into some of these quote unquote cures and treatments.
3: So if I'm hearing you right, some people suggesting things are suggesting them as treatments. So something that can maybe help with a symptom or help make things a little better. And some people are suggesting as cures, like this can actually fix your ulcerative colitis.
4: Oh, yes, yeah, um, I, you know, when I was in the trying the raw food diet, I was told that it would cure my colitis um, or bring it mm-hmm. to a state that if I would continue to be on the raw food diet, then I wouldn't have any issues. But it's like when you're at your most vulnerable state, then whatever people tell you, you're gonna wanna mm-hmm. try. I, I think in a way it's been a blessing that I've been diagnosed so long because I'm able to navigate these situations probably a little bit better than someone who's just been thrown into the chronic illness arena and has so many other things that they're um, focusing on. Right. Yeah.
3: With other young people who have chronic illnesses, do you share you know your your tips and tricks? Do you talk about what treatments have worked for you and what hasn't?
4: Yeah, yeah. More so when we're talking about treatments, um, because it's really helpful to know about the experiences or to look out for things that people have had experiences with on their treatment. So, for example, if I'm going to start a particular infusion and one of my peers has already been on that infusion, then I can kind of be prepared for what it's going to be like or if there's anything that I should kind of know about in advance, um, I take the suggestions of my peers with specifically inflammatory bowel diseases very seriously.
2: Mm. We have spoken about uh, the questions which are not helpful,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but are there any questions you find helpful?
4: I think the best phrase that I've found is, let me know how I can support you. Mm. I find that to be very very helpful because I don't feel obligated to ask them for support, but I also know that they're willing to be ready to support me. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, one of the least invasive ways to say it, because if you're saying the word support, support can mean a lot of things. And, you know, if you really are intending on being there for someone with a chronic illness, then you're offering this kind of open-ended support. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
5: My name is Dustin Christofiak, and I have chronic irritable bowel syndrome. When I was first diagnosed, I was actually out of work and bedridden for about seven months uh, before I could really do anything. And it was about two days into a job I'd taken when one of my coworkers decided it would be a good time to talk to me about homeopathy and why I hadn't tried acupuncture. And it's not that I have anything against alternative medicine, but it felt very invalidating that I had spent seven months dealing with doctors every single week, lying in bed, not really being able to do anything, and going through some pretty intense medical procedures, to be told that I hadn't done the right thing and that's why I still felt like crap. I don't know, I guess the other thing I wish people understood about living with chronic illness is that it's a very hard thing to live with, to feel kind of betrayed by your own body at times. and. I just wish people understood how much work went into that, especially when they ask questions like, why haven't you tried? Insert treatment here. Because I have put a lot of work into it, and and when you finally find something that works, it's a really good feeling, and I don't want people to think that I didn't work really hard for that, and that the doctors who helped me didn't work very hard for it, because they did. I just think that needs to be recognized.
3: Sick Boy podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders.
4: Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn
3: something
2: fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did.
3: You can find Sick Boy on the CBC
2: Listen app or wherever you get your pods. It was really interesting to hear how difficult it was for Lara to get a diagnosis and how cumbersome it is dealing with the medical system.
3: Yeah. And when Sneha was talking about all her peers who were newly diagnosed and and how they're vulnerable to all the suggestions people throw at them. Mm -hmm. To find out more, I spoke to Lara Bloom. She's the president and CEO of the Ehlers-Danlos Society. She herself has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, also known as EDS, which is a chronic illness that affects connective tissues like joints and skin. She's a patient expert, so she offers her experience to medical students and specialists. We spoke about what it's like for someone with a chronic illness to navigate suggestions and treatments in the healthcare system. There is not
0: one way to live with any chronic, invisible or rare condition. Diet, sleep, vitamins, all of these things absolutely help. But it's, you know, at what stage that help comes in, how far along you are. And and it is really different for everyone. It's so, so critical for people handing out that advice to be mindful of that. And the thing as well with chronic and often invisible conditions is that people can't see what people are going through. So Mm. you happen to go out one night, you are actually in your best, you know, state of pain and fatigue, and you had a really great time. Mm. And then the next day, you dive down into feeling incredibly fatigued, in lots of pain, all your symptoms are sparked out and it's hard to even lift your head. Everyone around you, even those that love you and know that for sure your diagnosis is very, very real and valid, Mm -hmm. they're like, but you were okay yesterday and what if you just have an earlier night and what if you just become vegan? (laughs) Um, Will that not help? It's helped my friend, da-da-da-da-da. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, I am one of the people that, does swear by my diet, my movement, etc. But do I still have bad days? Absolutely, because there is no cure for these conditions.
3: Right. We've heard a bit so far about how difficult it can be to get a diagnosis. Why is that? I think it's because with EDS, it's so multi-systemic.
0: There's so few people that know about the conditions. And so if you imagine you go to a kind of general practitioner and you say, I have... Uh, IBS-like symptoms, I have chronic widespread pain, and I'm not able to sleep at night. I mean, how many things could that be? Mm -hmm. And, you know, three months ago, you happen to have dislocated your knee. The doctor is very unlikely to connect all of those things together. Mm -hmm. And it's not until someone looks at your whole medical history, your family history, um, and your, you know, a clinical examination that you can really Uh, start to get to the bottom of what what it could be and so people have bounced from doctor to doctor and unfortunately we're seeing real cases of PTSD because of the psychological impact of that you know being told Mm. it's in your head being told it's not real um, and that is having huge implications where we're seeing self-harm suicide um, increased depression and anxiety where we do you know see that when there is chronic health but even worsened because of that diagnostic odyssey Right,
3: yeah. Once someone has a diagnosis, what's it like going through a medical system to try to figure out what treatments or advice to try? It's incredibly hard
0: (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, when you're diagnosed with something, you know, we often, and I was in this position all those years ago when I was diagnosed, it's like, Mm. well, what do I deal with first? Do I deal Mm. with my really sore knee or my dislocating ankle or my popping out hip or do I deal mm. with the fact that you know I can't go to the toilet or that I when I stand up my blood pressure drops or and my heart races or do I deal with my neck pain or my constant migraines or you know it's your whole body and it's all consuming mm. and how do you kind of decompartmentalize that to think right, where do I go to? What do I prioritize? And how do I deal with this? And who's going to help me? It's really hard. It's like a, you know, a minefield. And you're also dealing with the fact of, okay, well, do I have to change my career path? Mm. Um, can I still study full time? Right. You know, will my partner be able to deal with this? Right. Am I going to die before I'm 40? All these petrifying questions mm-hmm. that are very real and huge. And so you need to have that mental health support as well to help you navigate through that because it's a maze. And so it's a constant, you know, challenge every single day to cope with what is in front of you,
3: but what could be in front of you down the road. Mm. The pandemic has uh, obviously, uh, needless to say, changed so much about the way we live for so many of us. What's it like living with a chronic illness in this this age of COVID? I hate calling it that. <laughs> yeah, this, but. this
0: new world we're living in.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, These unprecedented times.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, and I think the biggest challenge is the unknown. So many people want to know well, I, am I more at risk? Should I be shielding? Can I go out? Right. You know, what about my therapies? What about my treatment? What about my medication? What mm. about that test I was supposed to have? Am I more at risk not having the test or going and having the test and potentially picking up COVID? Right. And, you know, there's always been this them and us kind of mentality, you know, those that are, in inverted commas, healthy, and those mm. that aren't, you know, those that are living with chronic conditions, rare conditions, invisible conditions, and, We know what it's like to not be able to leave the house sometimes for days, weeks, months, years, lifetimes for some. You know, we know what it's like to not be able to work, to suddenly have your income taken away, to not be able to afford food, your treatment, and to not be able to live your normal life that you look out the window and see everyone else doing. And Mm. suddenly everyone's in the same boat. Mm. And there's actually something quite special about that in the sense that you don't feel isolated as much anymore. You know, it's suddenly we're all isolated and it's a bit like, well, come join me.
3: Mm. You know,
0: come sit next to me. This, is, this has been me for, for a really long time. Mm. And I hope strength comes from that. I, I hope that that stays so that people can be kinder, mm. thoughtful to people that that is normal life every day.
3: Hmm. yeah it sounds like a a real potential for more understanding and compassion we can but hope yeah you know unprecedented times and
2: all Alena. yeah can i confess i was wrong
3: Absolutely not. No learning on this podcast. No changing your mind. None of it.
2: No, seriously. Offering solutions to a problem you've never faced is inappropriate. Yeah. As the saying goes, it takes a person two years to learn how to talk and 80 years to learn how to shut up. (laughs) I didn't know that one. So if you're not an expert on the topic, keep your mouth shut.
3: All right. Well, you heard it from Harv. (laughs) (laughs) I I really loved Lara Parker's suggestions for just, you know, listening and and being with someone in their pain and not trying to solve it. I guess, like you, I I never used to think that that's, you know, that that's good enough, but uh, it is good enough. And uh, that's something I'm going to work on.
2: I am repeating myself here. Another eye-opener episode.
3: All right. We're going to have to get a new word, but uh, agreed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle.
2: And I'm Harvinder Vadwa. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us.
3: Big thanks to our guests, Lara Parker, Sneha Dave, and Lara Bloom. Everyone is called Lara. <laughs> <laughs> you also heard voice notes from Serena Harding and Dustin Kristofiak.
2: Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was illustrated by Hannah Shafi. You can find it on Instagram at IQpodcast. Also make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast for a full transcript and more resources.
3: The corny crew behind Inappropriate Questions are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our digital producer is Judy Ziyi Gu. The senior producer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer, and the executive producer is Arif Narani. An inappropriate question is like that one family friend who wants to hear your five-year plan every time you see them.
2: For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.